You're listening to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. Today's message comes from Senior Pastor Aaron Klein. Well, as I've already said, uh, this morning we are coming to the conclusion of a four-week sermon series on the book of Ruth, and it's called Safety Not Guaranteed. One of the things that we've been trying to say throughout this sermon series is just because you follow after God doesn't mean that your life is going to be safe. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have hardships, that you might not get sick or someone that you love gets sick. It doesn't mean that someone that you love isn't going to pass or that you aren't going to pass. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have those financial hardships come. We understand that even though we follow after God, our safety isn't necessarily guaranteed. And yet, what I hope you are seeing is really this entire sermon title is a play on words. Because while it may seem that our safety is not guaranteed if we understand that everything falls under the sovereign control of a loving God and how God is working everything both for our good and for his glory, what we discover is our safety really is guaranteed. And not necessarily in this life, but what we understand is in the life to come. So what we pray is that as we go about this morning, we would understand that we are safe in the heart of God who loves us and who is in control. Now, we've seen that over the past couple of weeks because in Ruth chapter 1, what we saw is how Naomi and Ruth experienced a loss and how there was a bitterness that was felt. Naomi was not afraid to cry out to God and to say, God, I don't like what it is that I am going through. And yet we saw that even in the midst of her bitterness, she was still willing to pray and still willing to love. In week two, we saw those moments of God's hand in control all throughout this story. And we saw those moments of the it just so happened that Ruth just so happened to go to the field of Boaz and Boaz just so happened to be there that day and he looks up and he just so happens to see Ruth and so we see this work of God on the move in their midst of course then we saw in week chapter three this love story beginning to develop how Ruth comes to Boaz and asks to be redeemed. But then in the process of asking to be redeemed, how Boaz wants to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, it means he has to risk losing Ruth to someone else. And so here we come to the end of chapter 3, and while we've seen God being at work and orchestrating things in this moment, remember, we know the end of the story, but they were actually living it. And so here you and I are reading what it is that's happening, and we see the love that's developing, but over it all, we see this thread of love for God, for them, and for us. 
So this morning, we're going to be picking up Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to see what happens. Because remember, Ruth has come to Boaz. She says, I want you to redeem me. He says, I want to do it, but there's someone that is closer in relationship than I. And so he goes to the city gate, and he waits there. And so we're going to pick up this morning. We're going to read verses 1 to 4 together in Ruth chapter 4. If you've brought your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be here this morning. Of course, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer uh, he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Now, what's going on here? One of the things they have to keep in mind is that in ancient days, and in some places today, a lot of the work of the city and the business of the city would take place at the city gates. So as people were coming and going, you can imagine this in those early days. This is rush hour. So he's there during rush hour, during the morning hour when people might go on out to work, during the noon hour when people might be coming back from the fields. And notice, where does Boaz go? He goes to the place where he has the best chance of running into this next in line. And did you notice another just-so-happened moment? Because not only had he gone to the city gate, but as it happened, this man happened to walk by. Now, notice, too, that he gathers together all of these different elders. Why is that? Well, in those days, you usually grabbed two to three other witnesses when you had matters of buying and selling. But when it came to the big things, like marriage or divorce or property sales, they would gather together 10 witnesses. And the purpose of all these witnesses gathering together was to make sure that what was about to happen that was important was actually seen to and signed off on. Now notice, Boaz is a smart man. He doesn't lie, but notice how he sets up the situation to be to his own advantage. He tells the guy, look, this land that belonged to Elimelech is up for sale. And he says, if you want to buy it, you can go ahead and buy it because you are the next in line. And the guy thinks to himself, yeah, well, Naomi is old. She's not going to have any more children. So this makes a good financial investment for me. And so he says, you know what? I'll do it. I, I, I want to buy the land. But notice... Boaz left out something important. Ruth. And notice what verses 5 to 8 say. Then Boaz, 
on the day, said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Then this addition. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to another. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now, if you're following along and taking notes this morning, this is the first thing that I want you to see, that redemption restores life. Redemption restores life. See, Boaz sets out by saying that not only are you going to redeem this land, but you are also going to redeem Ruth. And by redeeming Ruth, he's also making the connection that what? Ruth is a Moabite. And if you remember, all the way back in week one, we said that the Israelites and the Moabites didn't get along. So he's trying to say, by the way, not only are you acquiring this land, but you're acquiring Ruth. And remember that Ruth is a Moabite. And so this man looks at this and he says, man, I don't know about this. He said, on second thought, you know what? I think I'll pass. And once Boaz hears that, Notice what he mentions immediately. He was setting it up to this man saying, by the way, when you redeem the land and you redeem Ruth, it will be your responsibility to redeem her life back by having children through her. And this man looks at this and says, there's no way I can do that. But Boaz says, this is exactly what I intend to do. Boaz desires to restore life back to Ruth, life back to Naomi, and to bring life back to their family line. And notice, what do they do? It's this weird custom that they exchange sandals. I just think about it. I mean, can you imagine if you bought your house from somebody and you're like, okay, instead of like signing on the dotted line, it's like, hey, let's exchange some footwear with each other, right? I mean, that, wouldn't that be a simple thing? Now, interestingly enough, you're going to see why. We're going to loop back to Genesis chapter 38 in a couple minutes, and there is an exchange of clothing there as well. But I want you to understand, this is why I say, if you would say, well, I never made that deal with you, you could, I guess, instead of bring out a piece of paper, say, well, you gave me a piece of your clothing to show that this was, you know, a deal that we had made. But the purpose is to redeem. The purpose is to restore. When death and hopelessness seemed like a foregone conclusion at the beginning of this story, what we see is Boaz intended to redeem and restore and bring back to life what was taking place in Naomi and Ruth's lives. And beloved people, that's what I want you to understand. 
you may look at your life and it may feel as though things are too far dead, too far gone, too far broken. You may look at your life and feel like it is a disaster. You may feel as though there are things that are dead or things that are cut off. But what this story reminds us of is that God desires to redeem and to restore the things that you may feel are too far gone for God. What may seem impossible to human beings is not impossible with God. What may seem improbable to you and to me is not improbable to God. As we go throughout this morning, I encourage you to place your trust in a God who is in control and who is at work to bring redemption and restoration into your life. The second thing that I want you to see is that redemption bears witness. Right? Redemption gives witness. Notice, by the way, what it says in verses 9 to 12. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Notice, Boaz makes a public proclamation to everyone present that the land has been redeemed, that Ruth has been redeemed, and that he desires to restore life to this family. And then notice what he does. He bears witness to all of the people who are there who then bear witness back to him. And they offer up blessings upon Boaz, blessings upon Ruth. And this is what I want you to understand, that when redemption happens, it always bears witness to the truth. That when God does a redeeming work in you, that you become a witness that we become a witness of God's work. By the way, this is why the Christian life is not to be lived in isolation. Because when you and I spend time away from each other, and people think, I don't really need to belong to a church community. We, we live in a culture that is very self-focused, uh, very self aware, very leaning towards self-aggrandizement, self-accomplishment. And we see this in our culture that though people, we may feel like we are more connected to each other than ever before because of technology, you can instantly connect with people around the world. The reality is we know we are more disconnected from each other than ever before. 
because we don't necessarily know each other when we're just sitting behind a screen instead of sitting and and talking with one another and bearing witness to each other. The problem when we try to go through life alone is that we miss out on bearing witness to what God has done. I need you to bear witness of the bad things that happen in my life. Because I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to help me. I need you to walk alongside of me. And I need you to bear witness to the good things that God is doing. So that when you see that, you can understand, wow, God is at work and I'm going to praise God along with you because of God's redeeming and restoring work in your life. That's why the community is so important because it helps us to bear witness, to give witness to what God has done and what God is doing. We are not meant to live our lives in isolation from one another. Instead, we bear witness to God's grace and God's hope. And by the way, that's what we see happening in this story. God takes the broken things in Ruth's life and he begins to do this redeeming and restoring work. And notice what happens. The community says, we bear witness to this. And we see the way in which God is blessing you, how God is blessing her. And notice what happens then God gets the glory because people understand that it was God who was at work. And by the way, remember, what did Jesus say to us before he ascended into heaven? That you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the people who look like you, who talk like you, who act like you, right? To your Jerusalem and your Judea. But then what? That you will be my witnesses to the Moabites, to the Amorites, to the Gentiles, to you and to me. And so we are to bear witness to the work of God to the people around us. But that also leads me to this other idea, to see what else redemption does. Redemption gives new life. Redemption gives new life. Notice what verses 13 to 15 say. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better than seven sons, has given him birth. By the way, I, I just maybe just pause right here. You know, in, in Scripture, seven is the number of completion. And uh, notice how, you know, so often it's like you want the men to carry on the, the women's, uh, you know, the, the family life and legacy. So how important it was to have male children. Notice, by the way, here the, this elevation of a woman saying she's better than seven sons because of what she has done. This is God's goodness and faithfulness. And then it says, Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for them. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. 
and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Notice, God is not just simply interested in restoring land back to Naomi and back to her family, but God desired to bring new life, to restore life back to Ruth and to Naomi. At the beginning of this story, remember what we said, Naomi went away and she said, I went away full, but I came back empty. But what we see is what she felt was empty was God actually breathing new life, restoring her back to life. She was now full and she's holding her grandson in her own arms. And what that reminds us of is that when life seems bleak, when God seems distant, we hold on to what it is that we know. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And just as Naomi was able to hold on to the promise of God in this baby Obed, so too are we able to hold on to the promise that God has for us. It is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, the question is, how do we get from the Old Testament to the New Testament? How do we go from an Old Testament story of uh, Ruth and Naomi and make the jump to Jesus? The, the question might be, have you just done kind of a little trick here uh, and trying to make Jesus fit into an Old Testament story that doesn't necessarily make sense. Now, I want you to understand that at the point, no, not at all, because when you look at Ruth chapter 1, one of the things that we said is woven throughout this story is God's story of redemption for all of humankind. And notice, it is here at the end of Ruth chapter 4 that King David is mentioned for the very first time in the Old Testament. And what do we know? That Jesus Christ is of the line and the lineage of Obed and Jesse and David. And so here we have right at the end of Ruth chapter 4, this picture of Jesus Christ. And by the way, we see in this story a whole nother Christ-like figure because we see it in Boaz himself. Boaz, as a picture of the guardian redeemer, is a picture of Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate guardian redeemer. Boaz is a foreshadowing to Jesus Christ himself. By the way, to redeem means to buy back. It means to purchase. It means to buy out. And it means to set free. And Scripture is very clear that we were bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. So I want to take a couple minutes and kind of unpack this parallel together so you understand how does Boaz fit as a picture of Jesus. Notice these three things. First, a kinsman redeemer had to be a blood relative. You had to be a blood relative. In order for Boaz to purchase back Naomi and Ruth, he had to be directly related. 
You couldn't be just someone else and function as a kinsman redeemer. You had to be born by blood and be related. And remember, Jesus was already related to them through Obed and Jesse and David. But Scripture is also clear. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hebrews 12.17 For this reason... He had to be made fully like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Romans 5.15 For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, flow to many. See, beloved people, the Christmas story that we celebrated just a couple of months ago was not just this beautiful little story of a baby that was born in a manger. We understand that this Savior was born into human flesh and bone in order to redeem us. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He is a blood relative of ours. And we are co-heirs with Christ. And what is a co-heir? A co-heir, a prince or a princess is someone who is related. We are related to Jesus. Second, a kinsman redeemer had to be able to redeem. They had to be able to do so. You know, you may have the ability to do so as a blood relative, but if you had no money, if you had no power, you couldn't do it. And we know Boaz was a wealthy and influential man. He had the ability to do so because of who he was. And by the way, Scripture makes it clear. Jesus had the ability to redeem us back to God. In fact, he's the only person who has ever existed or who will ever exist, who has the ability to do so. Notice what Romans 3, 22 to 25 say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means nobody else can stand in our place. Only a blood relative could do so. Nobody else was perfect enough, but it says, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with the perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Did you know Boaz's name means in him is strength? He had the ability to do so. And Jesus, his name Yeshua, Joshua, Savior, Jesus has the ability to save us and to redeem us from sin and death. And notice third, 
A kinsman redeemer had to be willing to redeem. They had to be willing to do so. See, Ruth approaches Boaz, says, hey, would you redeem me? And Boaz certainly had the ability to do so. He had the strength to do so, but he also had to be willing to do so. And that's the great news of the story. Boaz was willing to do so because he loved her. Beloved people, the good news, Jesus was willing to give his life to redeem us back to God. Notice what Jesus says, John 10, 18. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. Jesus was willing to do so because he loves us. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think about that for a moment. Scripture says that it was with joy that Jesus willingly gave down his life for us in order to redeem us, in order to buy us back, in order to set us free. And that's what brings our story back around full circle to to where we began. Because Ruth and Naomi looked at their lives and they thought that everything was lost. They thought that there was no hope for them. And what we see is God came in and God gave them everything that they need. We may have those seasons in life where it may feel as though God is not in control. But what we understand is that indeed God is in control. And he's working all things for our good and his glory. You may be going through a situation right now where it feels broken, where it feels cut off, where you may feel as though, God, all I see around me is death and brokenness and hardship. And God, I don't know why I seem to continue to go through these things. But what I pray we see is that Jesus not only is able to redeem our lives, not only is he able to restore our lives, but then you and I can give witness to God's incredible power that is at work in us and through us in Jesus Christ. And how do we see this woven all throughout this story? I want to do something, and I'm going to pull a little thread here. And I want you to see God's hand that is at work woven all throughout this story. You know, one of the things that we see about the things that feel too far gone, too far broken for God, notice in the story of Ruth, God takes an outsider, a Moabite woman, And she says, I'm going to follow along with God's plan. We said in chapter 1 that there was a conversion story. That she says, your God is going to be my God. And as a result, she steps into God's plan and she finds refuge in the shelter and the shadow of God's wings. So here you have Ruth, this Moabite outsider. But she marries a man by the name of Boaz. And do you know who Boaz is the son of? Solomon, 
and Rahab. Rahab, another outsider, a prostitute living in the city of Jericho. And remember, if you're reading in Joshua how what happens as they come to this city, what does Rahab do? She sees the power of God, and she too says, I want to come under the shelter and the shadow of the Almighty. And what happens? She walks in faith into a relationship with God. She's welcomed into the Israelite community. And what happens? God uses her to give birth to someone like Boaz. Let's pull a little more. Notice, by the way, there's another person that's mentioned in verses 12 as well as verse 18. And it's a person by the name of Perez. And you're probably like, okay, who in the world is Perez? Perez is the son of Judah and Tamar. And you have to go back to Genesis chapter 38. It is a sad and broken story about a relationship, not quite incestuous, but just really bad, between a father-in-law and a daughter-in-law. And out of this wrong, God shows us his purposes and his power. The reason for that is, in the Old Testament, we often think of two twins, right? We think of Jacob and Esau. And, and we think about how important they were in, in Israel's history and its birth. And remember, the blessing and the birthright were supposed to come from the older, not the younger. It was supposed to come from Esau, not Jacob. But in God's plan and purposes, he used the weak things, the Jacobs, in order to shame the wise. God uses the weak things to shame the strong. And so we see that there in Jacob and Esau. But if you go back to Perez, and when you go back to Tamar, they're another set of twins that's born. And what's really amazing about this story is Zerah's hand comes out first. And they tie a scarlet ribbon around him. He was the one who the blessing was supposed to come through. He was going to be the firstborn. But what happened, Zerah pulls his hand back and Perez is born first. Perez's name means breakthrough. It means preach. Now, Zerah's name, it actually means this. It means rising and it means dawn. So while the blessing was supposed to flow through Zerah, through the dawn, what happens? A breakthrough happens through the darkness and brings with it a new dawn. God's line comes through the second, not the first. God's breakthrough happens for those who are waiting for God to break through the darkness into a new dawn. And you look throughout Scripture, think of people like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Tamar and Rahab and now Ruth. And Jesus Christ is the picture of the ultimate breakthrough because Jesus, born of lowly stature in a trough instead of on a throne, living the life of a carpenter 
instead of that of a king and dying the death of a rebel instead of a royal. Jesus broke through sin and death in order to redeem, to be able to restore, and to be able to bring new life, a new dawn for you and for me. And how amazing is it that all of this happens in a town called Bethlehem, which means the house of bread. That the bread of life, Jesus Christ, comes out of this city, out of this situation. And what that means is, if you need redemption this morning, if you need a breakthrough this morning, God is at work to bring a new story, a redemption story to your life. And every single one of us gets to bear witness to it. And when we see God work, then we see how God works the things in our lives that may seem broken, that may seem dead, that may seem cut off, and he's going to work it for our good either in this life or in the promise of the life to come. And God gets the glory, and as a result, we bear witness to one another. And we bear witness to our community when we share the stories of God's hand working in our lives. God is in control. Your safety is guaranteed. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize woven throughout this story is the story of redemption. The story of how you take the weak things, the broken things, the things that the world would say must come first, and you shame them. You say, I have a different plan and a different story. Whether it is through Perez, whether it is through Jacob, whether it is through Rahab, whether it is through Ruth. God, you take the outsider. You take those who are far. You take those who many would look down upon and, Lord, you redeem. You restore. You draw us back to you. For any person here, Lord, who has felt far, who has felt unlovable, who has felt unredeemable, who looks at a situation in their life and does not see, Lord, how you are at work and has questions, God, would you redeem and restore through the hope of Jesus Christ? For, Lord, that hope is found in no one else who is able, who is willing to restore. Lord, may we place our hope and our trust firmly in that King of Kings and in that Lord of Lords.
And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were encouraged by this message, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, and check out our other discussions and messages. To learn more about Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's worship services, ministries, and events, visit us online at warsawpresby.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you again for joining us, and have a blessed day.